The Pygmalion effect is um, the measurable difference in outcome that results from unspoken regards, beliefs, or, or ideas. Mysterious World. Join Stuart Palm as he explores the limits of reality and imagination. Leave your expectations behind as you journey to another dimension. A dimension of the paranormal, the supernatural, a mysterious world. Welcome back to Mysterious World, or welcome to Mysterious World if this is your first episode. I am Stuart Palm, and I am going solo today. In fact, for the foreseeable future, you will be listening to just me. Uh, well, not that's not true. I have interviews, uh, and a bunch of them lined up. Um, but Pablo Amira, my normal co-host, is not going to be joining us on a regular basis any longer. He is a busy boy, and um, it is very hard to come up with times where uh, we can record. It's kind of like that old film, um, Lady Hawk, if you've seen it. When it is day here, it is night there. My mornings are his evenings. So um, we'll have him on eventually. He'll, he'll come back. We'll do some stuff with Pablo, but he won't be the regular fixture that he was. So... Uh, find him on uh, Facebook at Wish Him Well. Um, today, we have an interview with Aaron Alexander. Aaron Alexander is in himself a, a mysterious phenomenon. It's very hard to introduce him because he doesn't fall into any categories that uh, are except normal, not any normal categories. Uh, I first discovered Aaron's work uh, through a group that I belong to on Facebook called Urban Shamanism. And the first thing I saw him doing was pushing people over using the force. I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like he's able to push someone over using the force. And it, it deals with a lot of uh, perceptual phenomenon, phenomenology, and things that become very complicated to talk about. In fact, he's really complicated to introduce. But it's perfect for a show called The Mysterious World because he is a mysterious mysterious that's a new word i discovered uh, a mysterious guy in himself i will uh, begin by reading some quotes off of his website from dr connie v psychology and integrated sciences professor i have seen aaron go into a room full of scientists and astute skeptics to create dramatic feats like pushing people over at a distance knocking them out with a touch or gesture allowing them to see an ordinary spoon bend itself without even being touched. Sounds pretty amazing. Uh, let's see, there's another one here that I like. Alan B., executive director. I love these uh, titles. I have seen Aaron perform in various venues, and I'm always left with a sense of amazement. Truly, he creates an environment that shifts the paradigm of when I see it, I will believe it, to when I believe it, I will see it, I could not think of a laboratory of learning around transformation, 
being more effective than what Aaron brings to you. So those are some pretty good endorsements and uh, should get you a little excited about what we're going to talk about. We're going to cover a lot of stuff in this interview. So uh, Aaron Alexander is originally from Canada, I believe, but he travels all over the world lecturing and presenting his brand of mystery entertainment, although I don't believe he calls it mystery entertainment. It's just the box I've put him in. I don't mean to do that, but uh, it's I know you all are expecting some sort of um, parameters to think of a person. Um, he is able to do things that seem impossible. He can push people over. He can um, create movement in their bodies as though they're puppets. I don't really want to go into it too much. Uh, I'm going to let him talk for himself. And so without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Aaron Alexander. So where are you now? I don't even know where in the world you are. I'm in Canada right now. You're in Canada? Week. Yes. In which part? Uh, Western Canada, the prairies. Nice. I've never been. What does it look like? Um, well, I guess it, uh, it kind of depends where you're from. Uh, if you're from there, you either think it's boring or it's beautiful. But it's, it's very flat. It's, um, it's interesting because there's a big transition between uh, the prairies and the mountains and all this. It's, it's uh, I mean, it's, it's great. I cool. It's a great place. I grew up in Florida, so flat I'm used to. Yes. Well, and it's interesting, too, because here you have the, um, you know, I grew up more in the northern plains. And as you come down, it's it's one of those weird things where the plants and everything starts to get big. And you get bears and you get eagles and hawks. And um, it's it's a nice, just like a nice gradient of life for a, a place. Nice. Yeah. And um, as far as I know, you kind of travel from place to place and spend small periods of time doing what you do um are you are you traveling to perform or are you traveling more as in sort of a study capacity um i know i well most of my performances are are especially the last few years have been more like uh lecture type things mm -hmm. so you know put quotes around performances um but typically if if i do a performance it'll either be as a part of some sort of a lecture or demonstration or a way to uh, entertain myself or, you know, to have some work to do when I'm in a place if, uh, while I'm doing whatever else I'm doing there. That's cool. So it, does it, is, is it sort of pre-planned or is it sort of just happen? Both. Uh, there's a lot of um, things that just fall together and then I'll plan around that. Cool. Because uh, just coming from a perspective, I've read... Uh, some of your work, your books, uh -huh. and I, your website shows you performing some of the things from the books in the context of a classroom, but then also in sort of like a uh, saloon theater situation and, and, and just various, you know, situations. And then you did the symposium, is, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with L.A. New, who was our, my last guest. And yes. um, 
And so I have a hard time, and it probably works in your favor. I have a hard time putting you in a box. I don't know what to call you, really. Um, well, that's, that works for me, yeah. But it, it's also, um, there's few types of situations I haven't performed in. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very eclectic um, mix of, of things. And it's, it's, it's been different every time. Like, I don't have a standard show. Every time I get a challenge, I'll take the stuff that I'm good at and try to mix it in in a, a unique way that fits the circumstance and uh, see what happens. Cool. Have you ever studied um, the philosophy of phenomenology? Uh, no, I no. That would be something I think you would find uh, fascinating. Because I th I, the work of yours that I'm familiar with is all about controlling the perceptions of the audience with real phenomenon. Things are actually happening that seem impossible or way more um, magical than daily life. Um, to me, it it's hand in hand with hypnosis, but I wouldn't call it hypnosis. In fact, when I use your work, uh, which I do, um, I tell the person in the beginning, don't worry, this is not going to hypnotize you. Mm -hmm. This is just an experiment or a game or um, but we're gonna try this and and in my mind uh, you're actually what you're telling them is a little bit more accurate in that it is it is an experiment it is a game it's it's an experiment and it's a game with the way we perceive the world and so you know it, you say it, it it seems more magical than daily life but it is in my mind it is daily life uh, but all the all the little things you don't notice all of a sudden um, made magical again Sure. Um, the way the way you put things together, the way you re relate to people, and, and I don't think of it so much as as controlling anyone's perceptions, but rather creating a space where we can kind of let our our perceptions uh, wander. For me, that that's what a good mentalism show should do. Um, and I know you don't call yours a mentalism show, but uh, <laughs> that's sort I, of. I, I met uh, my first mentalist a year ago. Like I, I'm uh, I'm fairly new to that that field and, and it's the, a label just like hypnosis is the a dynamics label. well yeah it's it's a label but it's a label that people have um congregated around and, and there's certain uh tropes and ideas and all that and I'm, I'm still a little bit unfamiliar yeah well actually if i could um i use the label because it is a mysterious and interesting thing that people can attach something to and i'm mm -hmm. in asia when i was in the u.s i didn't use that label because it was too well known in a way that I didn't want to be presented. Whereas if I could find a way to find a better label that was easier, and I think actually I have hypnosis. I, now that I say that I'm a hypnotist, it's easier to um, to get away from the idea of he's a magician because because I'm that's not what I'm doing when I'm performing. But even even when I perform a very solid show of hypnosis and influence and um, everything has to do with unconscious interactions and pretty much exactly what you said, where we create a framework, we create a situation in which we allow these things to become more apparent. Every time I do that, there will be somebody who's like, I saw this magic show. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, okay, well, I guess you can't get away from the fact that the perception is that this is magical but it's a good magical 
Right, and and you know what you're dealing with there is, I, I think, just some some uh, constructs and some stigmas that we have surround, or not not necessarily stigmas, um, depending on your circle, but some ideas that we have around the, the performance of magic that are, I think are very uniquely uh, Western European inspired um, expectations. Well, actually, um, if I'm selling to a Chinese audience, uh-huh. which is quite diff- quite frequent. Um, I have them sell it as a person with powers. He's a uh-huh. person with powers. More yes. like um more like Qigong, but a western version. Mm-hmm. Because I don't study Qigong. I mean, I have a bit now, but you know, not enough right. to say that that's what I do. And it they get they get that. And that makes total sense. Whereas if I had said if they had said, "Oh, he's a magician." they would expect a completely the wrong thing. Right. Um, personally, I'm booking myself for events, and that's that's what I do for a living. So I need to have those tropes. I need to have those labels. I need to play with that identity. Uh, you seem to exist outside of that quite comfortably, which is uh, well, good and, on you, yeah, man. People, people either know from word of mouth or I'll come into a situation and they say, what do you do? And I can just say, well, here, I'll show you. Because the kinds of things that, you know, what I think... I've become the best at, or one of the best things, um, is being able to concentrate on just the very key experience that's going to, you know, show what's possible. And that's very easy to do within a few seconds or a few minutes, depending on how much time and interest somebody has. Sure. One of the first things that I saw you do was push somebody over with the force. Yes. And uh, it, it rang many uh, chords with me going right back to childhood and going right back to the beginnings of my own personal studies, even as a child, into what I am doing now. And when I was a child, those studies were more pure in that in that I was fascinated by the force in Star Wars, of course, mm-hmm. and and the, the magic that I saw in the stories, uh, like The Hobbit, um and also fascinated by medicine men native american medicine men and mystical stories from that culture because i I had a fascination for it i collected uh hopi kachina dolls and loved all those myths and stories and now i'm starting to see the relevance today in that study as a child and so as soon as I saw you do that, I went, oh, that's exactly what I need to be doing. That's exactly well, like the goal. <laughs> He's just pushed uh-huh. somebody over with the force. And the, and the audience said, it's like the force. <laughs> the girl yes. who was pushed over, I think, even said that. Oh, I know what video you're talking about. Yeah, no. yeah it yes. was great. And um, um, yes. so I wonder, um, well, I'd like to know sort of your perception of that and, and where those things, where you find those things to exist in the real world or where you've seen those things to exist in the real world outside of your own work. Um, you know, I, I'm very fascinated to learn how you came to the point where you realized you could do that. Um, so it, it, and it, anything you want to share on that really? Well, I'll, I'll, um, you know, bef- before I answer that, I, I do want to speak to something you mentioned because you, you talk about, uh, it's striking this chord from childhood, and I, I think that when it comes down to it, that is probably equally or greater, or of greater importance to what I actually 
was doing, like the, the physical, hey, a person's falling over, um, in that, you know, you're thinking of a time where the dust hadn't quite settled and you didn't know what the world was quite like and there were all these possibilities. And that was one of the ones that, that kind of hooked you on it as a child. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's one, one experience that kind of uh, struck you as a child of looking at that possibility and going, wow, what if? Um, and so I think that is a, a, a crucial piece of what's going on for people. Because really, if I, you know, if I just have a backpack and I'm, I'm zapping people over with some sort of uh, wave generator or what have you, it's a novelty. Right. But because I don't have that, it's not just a novelty. It's, it's something mystifying. And that's, that's a, a very important piece of it. Um, as for it, you had asked about uh, where in the world, what is what, what was the question again? Well, where have, where have you seen what what we would call in our American modern perception Jedi powers? Well, first off, uh, the, the easy answer is that um, you know Star Wars was a heavy borrower, of course, and it, it came out of an era where people were looking for all these these myths and archetypes and and cross-cultural comparisons and and you know like like joseph campbell for example was a big inspiration of star wars um as was these ideas of like the life force and so uh and particularly i think the the idea of chi or ki or what have you in in eastern mysticisms you know one one manifestation of that idea of the life force so sure one one answer is that uh well What's the closest thing in the world? Well, we could say the thing that was borrowed from to make the movie. Um, but I do think also the way you phrased it, um, you know, what is what is the, the thing in the world that's most like the force? I almost have to think of, um, well, what is the force? You know, is this, is this an intangible something in all living things? Uh, but certain living things can harness it in a particular way. And if you do that, you can get, uh, you know, precognition. You can communicate with ancestors, and and your senses are heightened. Uh, I don't know. You can jump and run and all this kind of stuff. Um, you can also like mentally influence others. Um, basically, like break the rules of nature as, as we thought of it. Uh, with the catch of having those powers, all of a sudden puts you in this position of what do I do with these powers? And there's a struggle between the good and the evil and what have you. Like this is the the force, right? Yeah, exactly. In general terms. Yeah. And so the the, sec- the way you phrased it the second time really makes me think of like, well, that's, you know, that's the human experience. That's, um, that's our gift as humans is, is the, uh, the ability to do all those things where you can, um, you know, our, I would say our, our consciousness, our imagination, our whatever you want to call the strange mental things that we do is essentially what gives us those powers to, you know, in a, in a literal sense, we have a way for the the ancestors to communicate to the unborn and we can bend the laws of nature and we can uh be be caught in moral struggles that your dog is uh less likely to be confronted with um so and this this is a bit of a a slightly more stonerish answer um but i think i think either of those and and if you know even if you don't buy that well something about our our consciousness our our means of perception our um the way we mentally and physically experience the world does allow us to experience something that looks and feels just like the Force as uh, just, uh, portrayed on the screen there in Star Wars, where you can see you know, me pushing people over, but you can also see 
martial arts master is doing something that looks similar. I don't know if it is. Right. So um, that, that's my answer is like the, our, our mental special thing that we do. People call it different things. Sure. Is that, is that a little too uh, far out? No, it's great. As an answer? Um, yeah. Outside of the reality that you create, as an observer, uh-huh. where have you seen, like, when in your life have you seen things that you could not explain that went outside of your own ability to uh, un- to know what was going on? So you're you're not talking about um, something that looks like the force, but rather something that defies my expectations of the world in a way that kind of causes that astonishment. Or exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That that is what I mean. Um, I made the other as well, but uh, but I'm curious as to what experiences you've had that that were true mysteries for you, the true true moments of wonder. That's a that's a tougher one. I mean, I've like I've never seen a ghost or a UFO or anything like that. Um, I I come from a family of scientists. Um, I do think though that uh, well, first off, you know, in in the kinds of the kinds of work that I'm doing now, you you see that kind of strange stuff every day and and you can impose explanations on that like you can impose them on everything but fundamentally there's very little that we can truly understand but there's also and i don't know if this maybe this is a terrible answer also but you know there there are times when you're standing on a mountain or you're talking to a person or you know you realize something and it, it does evoke that feeling of wonder and mystery and you know the sense of something beyond yourself um don't know if that's what you're looking for no that's great like a connectedness i I wouldn't say there there is no right or wrong answer to the questions i'm just curious as to your experience well i i will say that there's there's a lot of um you know i I think a psychologist and statistician and and uh many people would have different explanations for this but a lot of you know like i i remember at one point i was trying to teach myself card tricks and i was doing it with my best friend and she i i used um I, i don't know what kind of terminology is good on this this okay. show but um i was i was watching one card and using that card to figure out what her other card was and i'm I'm terrible at card tricks i don't even think i could do this one anymore um <laughs> but i had to remember a card that was different than the one that i knew she would have right and she kept calling the card i was thinking of rather than the card she was holding like there's, <laughs> there's little weird stuff like that um that's great that I, yeah, I think it's cool. It's it's interesting. I think you could explain it a lot of different ways, um, but it's definitely kind of in line with with the uh, the sort of themes that you might have in your your mentalism show. Yeah, well, yeah. I I wonder. Um, let's say let's let's say tomorrow um, you have an experience where you're walking down the street and somebody walks up to you and tells you something that has exactly to do with what it is that you're you know planning to do so you're walking in the street and they come and they tell you something that is exactly in line and they don't really understand why they're saying it either you have one of those experiences that goes outside of expected norms do you in your mind rationalize it and come up with a theory of how that happened or or do you allow it to just sort of exist as a as a amazing experience yes okay i i understand um 
I, I think both. Yeah. Um, although I, you know, I, I will say that I think maybe the disconnect we had in explaining this is that, yes, if something that many people would call strange or psychic or whatever happens, um, yes, I take it as face value. It's like, that's a, that's an interesting thing. Um, it doesn't mean I suddenly believe in, in psychic this or that. It doesn't really rock my world that much because when it comes down to it, um, an idea that we could say maybe somebody knows something about me that I don't or, um, you know, a thought jumps from one mind to the other, that's not as crazy as, like, bees or, you know, black holes or, like, when it comes down to it, there's more ridiculous, absurd, and likely true things in the world. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't live my life by it. I don't expect that there is this psychic wave out there and if, uh, you know, I, I should change my behavior based on it. If I had enough experiences like that, I, I imagine I would have to. But at this point, I haven't had enough experiences that I, I say believe in that kind of thing straight up and live my life according to that belief. Right. So on the converse, um, after somebody watches your demonstration, uh -huh. is there still mystery? In what they to saw. The person. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Okay. Because um, there certainly is to me. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, usually when we, usually it's not about evidence. Um, you know, people aren't rational, people aren't logical. Uh, and when some, when you confront somebody with something unusual, as, as obviously, I'm, I'm not have to, I don't have to tell this to you, but, but typically, they're, they have this feeling of dissonance, and they're trying to resolve that dissonance. Mm -hmm. And um, so when you say, even if nobody really understands what's happening with hypnosis, if, if you just at the end of the show said, it was hypnosis, guys, a lot of people would go, ah, right? <laughs> exactly. Or, yeah. or, or if, if at the end of a show you do all these crazy things, and then you say, um, but I, I have to admit, um, I was tricking you, and it's all magnets. Right. Uh, you know, the, probably the only people in the audience who would still feel that feeling of mystery and mystification would be physicists because they're like, magnets don't do that. And for other people, you've given them this, this thing that feels like an answer. So what, what, to answer your question, what I'm typically trying to do is to allow people to feel that sense of mystery and be able to walk away. And of course, this will vary depending on my audience and why I'm there. But to walk away with a sense of possibility that's not overwhelming. Um, and, and also, you know, I, if I don't believe that I am using some sort of mystical power, I won't say I am. I believe that I'm using the way that we perceive the world, the way that we understand things, the way that we operate in, in the daily world. And I'm, what I'm really saying to people is that is kind of magical, and we don't know exactly why that can stack up and, and align in the way we've just done it. Sure. But isn't it great that we, we just did? Yeah. I, I was doing a show on Saturday, and... Um the show ends where I have a, a girl on stage and she creates a drawing um, and I'm suggesting and influencing her throughout the whole experience. And at the end, I pull down this envelope and open it up and I have recreated the drawing before the whole thing started. And it's about creating a connection, the, the theme of the, right. the routine. And actually we start with, uh, with your bridge. Um, and after the show, I mean, it, people love it. It's, it's a lot of fun, and it's amazing, and it creates wonder. But I had this funny guy come up and say, I know exactly 
not impressed. That was really great. I it was impressive, but I'm not impressed by that drawing. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, all right. W- why not? He said, well, I know how you did it. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. And it's always funny to me when people say that about something mm-hmm. where it's like, well, I'll tell you kind of how I did it. Uh, and I kind of do in the process. So yeah. what are you thinking? And he was like, um, well, that drawing, because it wasn't there beforehand. And what he was talking about was there is an envelope with a big question mark mm-hmm. in it taped to the the wall. And before, right as I'm starting the show, I obviously walk out, I hold the, the envelope up, and I take tape and I tape it to the wall. <laughs> like, <laughs> I make it very obvious that I'm putting it there. But yeah. he, he didn't perceive that or wasn't aware of it or whatever. And there yeah. was no convincing him that that drawing had been in that envelope on the wall before the show started. He just could not uh, let go right. of his own perception that there was somehow somebody drew it while we were drawing and put it up there. So right. it was really, f- I mean, I, all I could say was, well, you know, it was there and you can ask people, but it's up to you to decide whatever you want to believe. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, although, you know, what you're dealing with there, and I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm thankful to probably have to deal with this less given the, the kind of circles I run in or, or you know, the, the thing people expect when they come in. Uh, but these are, I, I deal with it in different forms. These are heuristics that people have. It's like a, a, a thing that they use, that you can use to blanket discount a thing, where if you go up and um, you give a candy to a stranger, they're, they're at this moment of like, well, why did this just happen? And, um, you know, you say, uh, I'm trying to atone for my sins or something, then instantly they know how to categorize that. And, the, you know, the dissonance is resolved. And unfortunately, whereas if you, you know, you go up and give them the candy and then you just kind of walk off, they're mystified for a little bit longer. And in the case of magicians and magic and, and that sort of thing, people seem to have these uh, sort of, heuristics that allow them to, to bulk discount, uh, discount in bulk, uh, not, not like a, a store, but rather to, to not take seriously in bulk, things like, you know, anytime, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too, if someone flips out a pack of cards, they're going to have to do something really amazing, because <laughs> otherwise I have this thing in my mind that's like, well, it's cards, and he's a magician. Um, and I think that's true of magic shows, sure. where as soon as you walk up there, people are like, well, it's, it's a trick. Uh, I don't, maybe I don't know what it is, but it's probably strings or magnets. And then that is an assumption that can allow them to not be experienced, uh, not be affected by all these crazy things that could happen. Right. Exactly. And, and by the same token, uh, if the person you gave that candy to later in the day fell ill, they might blame the candy. Right. Yes. And that's one of the dangers of hypnosis. Yes, absolutely. Um, and 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 as as I've said to you before, uh, part of why I don't practice it is is the the ideas surrounding it in our culture. Um, but but I think that's true of any time you have something that that breaks the norm, it it becomes this this thing that sticks out in your mind. And because we're you know we're mammals, we one of our one of our big adaptations is being able to to uh, correlate things in time. Uh, instantly, that thing will seem to have influenced the other unusual thing. They have that characteristic in common. Although I have to imagine that as a mentalist, that usually plays in your favor. Yeah. 
where, where one unusual thing happens at your show and then they go home and another unusual thing happens and you get a weird email of someone being like, you know, you killed my toaster or, or what have you. <laughs> Well, I, I try not to kill any toasters, but but yeah, things do happen. Bit my cutlery. That go beyond what I intended, and I'm that's fine. I don't know if you want to talk about this on on the recording, but you were saying you were doing a lot of things with the placebo response, and the placebo to me is ex- enormously fascinating, and I think we it, it exists in our lives a lot more than taking pills. Um, but I'm curious what, what you've found or what, what is interesting to you about the placebo? Um, well, I think, I mean, in the context of what we just talked about, I think that the placebo is an interesting, it takes a really interesting place in our culture where, um, it's a thing that people can invoke to discount something, to, to not take something seriously. And yet it's so, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. It's part of everything we do. And it, it really speaks to me probably to a misconception or a, a misintuition maybe of of what people are like um, in that, you know, if uh, we, we talk about placebo, and I think you're, you're mentioning this, you mentioned this in your little preamble that um, we think of it almost as an aberration. Uh, I did this thing, but due to the placebo effect, it had a slightly different response. Uh, whereas I think it's more useful, and I think you're implying this, to think of that not as an aberration, but rather as a given. It's a human constant, that there are social and emotional and perceptual and conceptual things, uh, and, 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 and to be fair, biological things, because the placebo effect, you can, you can uh, use it, you can biologically condition somebody to respond to something regardless of their awareness of it sure so so really what we're what we're talking about is something that um is a constant not an aberration but it's it's an aberration based on you know our uh last thousand years of of uh metaphysic well not so much metaphysic but but like philosophical ideas about what we should be like have you ever been hypnotized no i haven't have you ever attempted to be hypnotized um, well, I had a friend one time who tried, yeah. and I thought she might have had some success, but it didn't, I mean, it didn't pass the threshold of that totally worked. Right. Okay. Have you ever had somebody do your work to you? Yes. And did it work? Yes. Okay, good. Well, and, and you, you um, do get an idiomotor response. You do get an unconscious response within certain things. Well, yes. Although, and and this is why hypnosis is is interesting. Of course, one of the reasons is is where does where is the line, you know, between again, this is something we're treating as though it's this special thing or it's an aberration. But really, some of the most the easiest lines to draw are between our everyday experiences and things we actually know in mainstream psychology. Um, I think. If I, I think that the in performance of the bridge, mm-hmm. that is hypnosis. I, well, I, right, but, but but let's think of hypnosis. But it, okay, uh, no, to make them know, to make them think that that's what it. Well, sometimes they they get it too. But to make them, you'd have to have them close their eyes and count to ten <laughs> before you do it. 
to, to think oh, I really had this experience. But right. I don't think you actually need uh, trance state to be suggestible, and I and I think that uh, hypnosis is just a label. It's a thing that happens. Well, it's or, just easier to I talk about it to put it in a context of experience in which they counted to ten and did some stuff. It's it's uh, in that case, yes, it's it's a narrative. It's a frame for your demonstration it's a way for people to understand things and once you invoke hypnosis certain expectations will come into play um but it's also a lens for looking at things and so when someone says um you know this weird experience happened to me you can look at the the lens that's been created by people who believe in suggestion and hypnosis and hypnosis and for the last 300 years have been trying to make sense of that and in many cases um it's worthwhile i mean it's like newtonian physics is is very worthwhile it just happens not to be the literal truth of how the universe works. I think hypnosis <laughs> is very similar. Right. You know, you, you have a, a, a set of rules and assumptions, and it's, it's very effective within certain parameters. And ultimately, it's not true the way you might think it is if you only think in terms of hypnosis. Right. I agree with that. And I, for, for some context to, to people who are listening, you're talking about a, a technique that I published a couple of years ago um, that involves two people experiencing the same thing at the same time. Um, and there's many different ways to use it, but what the most common thing is is people who are holding their hands together, they're feeling um, points of, of focus or what have you and that, that move around. And then you, you create this sort of a link where... One person moves and the other person also moves, and one person gets touched and the other person feels it. Th- that's what you're talking about, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. And yes. when I when I describe it, um, I would say that there's an unconscious link happening between both people. Right, and and of course, you know, within the last ten years, we know that that sort of and, and this is this is what I mentioned uh, a while ago when we were talking about I was talking about making the ordinary thing magical. I think. That could be true in this case, too, where um, you know that if I eat a sour thing, your brain is representing that act of eating a sour thing. And so, um, you know, if, if I get cut, we know, or, or if I am picking something up, uh, this seems to be a fundamental, and, and monkeys do this, too, a lot of animals do this, where um, it seems to be fundamental not only to learning, but also uh, social perception and interaction and, and communication that we are representing similar experiences and we're feeling... I mean, you know, you are uh, watch a bunch of videos of guys trying to catch a ball and it hits them in the junk. Like, your yeah, instant right? flinch response, right? Um, so that's one way of, of looking at it, too. And I'll, I'll add to that, you actually have people who, um, you know, they're, for example, the, the famous rubber hand illusion where you get people to kind of think that a hand is not there. That is great. Rather, you, you get people to perceive a hand as theirs when it's not. Um, there's certain, you know, it, it looks very... And just to jump in for a second, I will, yeah. uh, I'll post a video of, there's a pretty good video of that um, on YouTube. I'll, I'll post that on the blog page so people can see it. Uh, Who don't know about the rubber hand and smashing yeah. the, the rubber hand and the, they feel it in their own hand. Yeah. Yes. Um, there's also, for example, um, and, and I think this makes it really interesting. I'm not, I'm not a neurologist or, or anything, although I, I often have worked with some um but there's some people have uh, a disorder called mirror touch synesthesia where um 
you know, if, if I'm sitting over here and someone comes and stabs me and you happen to have this uh, issue, this, this condition, uh, you will feel the stab in your arm. And it's not just a matter of that empathetic feeling, but you actually feel it literally. And these are people who find it hard to go outside, who find it hard to watch TV. Um, and it makes you wonder, or makes me wonder, is is what they're doing any different than what we're doing, or is it just a matter of degree or a matter of threshold that maybe through this procedure what we're really doing isn't changing anything, but rather shifting the threshold that normal people have so that all of a sudden they're able to experience in this, this very deep, meaningful, and real way what the person across from them is experiencing. Yeah. One, one of the... Um, huh. One of the ways that I got into learning about uh, magic as a kid was going to a costume shop, not to, to buy magic, but to buy uh, stage makeup for like cuts and bruises and fake, uh, you know, fake stuff. And I, and I found out about it because there was a kid in Boy Scouts who had to get all this stuff to make a fake um, like bone sticking out of his arm to learn how to bandage bones and stuff like that. And so I was like, where'd you get all that stuff? And he told me and I went to the place and got it. And, and I, I had, I had been interested in, in some magic stuff in another context, but this is, I was like first time I'd saw a shop where they had it and I, and I bought, but I wasn't there for that. I bought, you know, fake, skin and stage blood and stuff to make scrapes and stuff and i was doing it partially because i couldn't handle looking at it like in boy scouts like i i knew it was fake but i couldn't handle looking at it It was too i could feel that that could happen to me and it it like turned me cold you know and I had a hard time watching any horror movies, which which all other young boys were so excited to talk about that they got they got to see this or that. And I gore even still if I see uh, needles and movies and, you know, really convincing gore, I, I have to sit there in my mind, think I know how to make that is plastic and and, you know, uh, food coloring and syrup I know what that is <laughs> it's not real but uh, you know I can't and, and I think everybody has some degree of that and I wonder if playing with that response um, I mean uh, obviously playing with that response is what gore is but if watching if being into that is is a desensitization desensitization I can't say that word desensitization to that sort of perception and that ability to have that kind of empathy. Like when I know people, I've known a lot of people who were really, really into very gory movies. And um, I just wonder, like, how can you do that? <laughs> to me, it seems like, oh, my God, really? Why? Yeah, I think that's uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised. And it's, you know, it's one of the beautiful things that children do is they they respond in the strong ways that we we all can as humans and then they find ways to adapt to it if they you know if some of those strong strong responses are a little bit too frequent in their world they'll find some way around it and i have to say that your particular adaptation was uh i mean 
kind of ingenious in my mind, uh, but also uh, not harmful. Whereas a lot of the time when we're adapting to to uh, this kind of negative stuff, we end up, you know, trying to desensitize ourselves in ourselves in uh, less uh, constructive and creative ways. Huh. And yeah, I, abs- they, I absolutely yeah, it, do believe that, that a lot danger. of um, sorry, it can lead to danger. Well, right, but but I, I absolutely do do believe that a lot of a lot of the negative things in the world are um, sensitive people adapting to what feels like a not very sensitive or, or caring world. That's true. So, yeah. Sensitive people. That's an interesting concept. They don't get a lot of credit. Well, they should. I think it's most of us. I think, you know, I, um, and I say this half in jest, although I also believe it, but like, I think people, like, if you, if you look at uh, Colonel Gaddafi, um, and and other dictators who are, if you remove the the um, horrific nature of what they've done in the world, yeah. are kind of awkward, lovable, cute people who have you know teddy bears and pet crushes and and odd comfort activities, and you have to wonder like, you know. This this looks like a sensitive person responding to an insensitive world. This doesn't look so much like, you know, evil Disney villain to me. But you know, obviously, it's not it's not like I knew the guy. But I, it, given given the the kind of conflict and and uh, problems I have been around, um, it seems you know I I wouldn't be at all shocked if if that's where it came from. That makes a lot of sense to me. Although it. People who don't understand that, it'd be very hard to explain. <laughs> to, uh, if you don't, well, you know, you say that. I feel like many years of my life were, were have been devoted to uh, uh, trying to build that sort of empathy in people who, uh, uh, who who may not see things in that way. You know, like this 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 person isn't just an evil thing. Uh, let's let's deal with what's really going on here. So, so I'm biased, obviously. Yeah. I think there's a level of selfishness in a lot of people that um, they would want to care for people, but they don't take the time and they don't they, oh. they don't have the time yeah. because they've so wrapped up in their life. But th- I mean, it's not mutually exclusive. Like if it if it really hurts you to see other people hurt or if you uh, really want people to like you and they don't or what have you, that there's um, there's plenty of ways around that and not all of them are are beneficial yeah right that most most of us that are very strongly sensitive become artists in some fashion or dictators or dictators i'm not saying this based on evidence i i do think that's kind of i think i think one of the uh one of the underlying stories of humanity is really just this this amazing whatever we are but when we come into the world yeah objectively it's amazing like all the things that children could be and i do think a lot of what ha- you know the the highs and the lows that we go through as a species really come out of this this weird thing full of possibilities entering into a world that has um you know has some history definitely yeah i come to think of it hitler was a uh, art student who didn't do well who had you know uh dealt with uh, rejection and, sure. and uh abuse and uh world war 1 which i hear wasn't great for a lot of people yeah Kind of sucked. Um, I understand that you're you're working with um, 
some neuroscience study and you have a scientific side of yourself that that's um, working on a project um, but on the performance side and on the lecture side do you have a goal to hit a larger audience or is how, how are you perceiving the next step for yourself are you going to let it bring itself to you do you do you control that or do you just kind of follow it well um well, that's a that's a tough one, but I, I think that the the thing that has been uh, guiding me and, and pushing me ahead in a lot of ways has just been the and I'm sure you've seen this yourself the the impact that these experiences have on people, and um, I think that it really comes down to you know there does there does seem seem to be something intrinsic in people that that craves a sort of uh, a sort of experience that we don't get very much in in day to day life. That uh, that I think is very stigmatized in our culture of this you know the experience of wonder, the experience of of uh, feeling outside yourself, or or which is kind of like that. I mean, and and um, ne I think necessarily these these are things that are not easily put into words. Um, and what I think. Is, is important is that you know we we live in a, a world that is so amazing it's so beyond anything you know any explanation for the universe of the last couple thousand years pales in comparison to what we actually be are, are living in and I I think there's a one of our biggest problems fundamentally is a lack of enchantment a lack of you know being able to to be ex exposed to any number of wonderful things and not feeling wonderful anymore yeah um and so i i think i think it's important to have these places where um not only can you foster that kind of feeling because this isn't this isn't a, a matter you know there's there's a lot of it's almost like people think there's there's a conflict between science and mysticism or religion or science and this and that and the other and there isn't what's happening is that we have we have a cultural affect. We have a way of looking at things that is very gray and that is, you know, deprived of the kind of things that you you described earlier, feeling as a child. And there's no logical reason for that. This is something that's happened over time. And when you provide a positive frame for those things, all of a sudden the enchantment comes back in, and you can you you see the world a little bit differently. And I think that's a a hugely important thing, especially as you know, if we move ahead with this this underlying fundamental sense of cynicism i mean it's like you know going on a date when you feel like shit or you know when you think that that you're a, a bad person and no one could possibly love you it's not going to end well it doesn't matter what's actually out there for you um and i think i think returning a sense of enchantment and optimism and this kind of thing and and allowing us to experience that is a, a very important part of um part of life i agree I, I'm interested in that you said this underlying sense of cynicism because um, I see that all over the place and it's almost as if people are afraid to be genuine and they know it's cool to be cynical so they hide in this cynical world and and take this attitude against all things and yes. don't allow themselves to open up to all sorts of it, all sorts of possibilities. I mean, if you don't believe in the possibility of of things that are 
beyond your understanding, you stop to see them. You don't. You stop seeing them. They they go away. Absolutely. If you don't. Absolutely. Yeah. And and it's not just um, that it's cool, but as uh, if you've ever met high school kids after being a high school kid, you realize that a lot <laughs> of the quote unquote cool kids were trying to be safe, and that's what it's really about. Is is that there's a, a very there's a certain safety in cynicism, and the um, you know we've we've got this we've grown this kind of culture where it's anytime somebody steps out of that, it becomes very very easy to cut them down and to feel better about yourself and to um, uh, you know not leave that safe bubble, and so I, I think that the result is that one you get less of what you need because we do you know we're creatures that need um we need a certain kind of uh stimulation like that's in in all aspects of our lives we need certain stimulations i think intellectually and and maybe spiritually if that's your your choice of terminology we're we're uh undernourishing ourselves but i think it also has the effect that people who are more in, uh, who step outside of the bubble in spite of that will tend to be the less balanced ones the more and more we make it unacceptable and so um, you know if I, I think it it gets to the point where you hear like oh I've th- there's this crazy crazy pseudoscience I just heard well yeah um, once you make it a, a hard place for sane people to go that's what you're gonna get mystery of the week Right now, there's a, a clip going around online um, that I've been asked about a few times, and I refuse to give my perception on what's happening uh, because I think that's up to the individual. And it's this maybe 10-year-old girl or 9-year-old girl who is from India, and she's blindfolded a bunch of times, and then uh. she's on like a on a stage and people bring her things and she reads them blindfolded and Mm -hmm. and then there's an interview with her and the guy and she does it again and she tells them all kinds of stuff while blindfolded right and uh they're saying it's third eye power that she trained with some guru and this whole thing and um it's it's very impressive and people are just it's the magicians are all saying well, then we should sick Randy on her. We should, you know, get rid of her and expose that she's fake. And the people who are, there are a lot of the other people who have asked me, um, is this a trick or is this real? And um, so I'm fascinated by it. I'm curious as to what's going to happen with this girl. Um but I have to stay neutral. I have to say, well, that's up to you to decide. I, I don't, I don't know. But I think that the the wonder and the mystery of it that you're having is a valuable thing. So, you know, ex- experience that. <laughs> um, well, yes. Although I would also say that, uh, I mean, in th- there's like this this uh, pop rock trope. Uh, music trope of like looking for love in all the wrong places right right um and i think that this sense of mystery like a sense of affection or love or what have you is something that we seem to need sure and uh 
if you get into a situation where you have the 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 double whammy of people feel um, there's a huge stigma against believing something unless you have really really hard evidence, and you get um, people of questionable repute who will provide evidence because they know you need that that kind of experience. Well, then you get into situations where you are looking for love in all the wrong places. You 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 look for people who say, "Look, I have this special power, and you're allowed to feel those things with me." And mm, I don't want to say more often than not, but very often those people will be uh, scam artists. It's not because you can't separate that experience from scam artistry. It's like it it it's because I think you've created a hostile environment, and so the people who um, set out the candy trail for us to follow happened to be the the witch who will bake you in the oven kind of right. thing to completely mangle a whole bunch of analogies all at once. Yeah, well, so, while, while I see that the guru who taught her or gave her this power uh-huh. could very well be a scam artist. Uh, he's making lots of money, apparently, so um, all those red flags are raised. Uh-huh. I wonder what, what fascinates me um, and what I'd be curious about is what in her honest words is happening from her perception because to me it is possible that to her she's using third eye power does that make sense it does make sense and it it absolutely is possible uh, well anything's possible when it comes sure. down to it um but the you know the thing is, I think what the real argument is coming down to isn't the evidence, it's the affect. It's people wanting to say, look, the, these powers exist, spiritual things outside of us do exist, and other people saying, uh, no, they don't, and don't feel that way. And um, in this, you know, the real question I would have, you know, if, if I got to sit down with her is, you know, I would want to wonder, I, I would wonder why, okay, if you have third eye power, what does that mean? What are the implications? If this is something that's that's repeatable and you're doing this all the time, what are the implications? And why why is it that we expect that her third eye can see past part of our world, like the blindfold, and then back into it again? Wouldn't it be equally valid if a third eye power could just see into other dimensions? Like, we, we couldn't prove it then. Right. But, you know it would still be a thing. Just because just we can't prove something doesn't make it not a thing. And so when you get a situation where someone has incredible supernatural powers that are oddly tangible and which they use in, in very mundane ways, uh, <laughs> and fundamentally being able to read stuff on a paper is a very mundane thing to oh, do yeah. if you have that kind of a power. That's definitely a, a whole cocktail of alarm bells. Oh yeah, I agree completely. And I, I do worry that that just makes it harder for genuine people and I, and I, when I say genuine I don't mean they're right or they're wrong but genuine people who are really you know comfortable with feeling that kind of mystery who, who have real ideas about the universe that maybe we should listen to and I think it makes it very hard for them to operate sure well and it also reflect the the popularity of it does directly reflect what you were saying in our need for these kinds of experiences and these kinds of realities yeah. and finding these things in our lives. Because and that's, and that's part of, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, it, the, so many people want to um, denigrate 
religion, but it did serve that purpose. It did fulfill a spiritual experience, and and you can still get that in a mass or uh, a chanting uh, session or any number of of religious spiritual you what have you experiences any ritual will give you that kind of connection and sense of wonder and the moment where you are outside of your sense of self and connected to all things you can have that moment um and i don't know how you can have that moment if you completely detach from any sort of otherworldly belief any sort of i don't know what to call it exactly any sort of mystery because there are people that i know that are are they're atheists and they want to purge themselves of anything that even smells of spirituality right but i think they're going to be longing for an experience of something that is wondrous in some fashion and i don't know where that's going to lead them well, right, and, and I mean the thing is that um, n- nothing. There's there's a certain irony there that uh, people will buttress um, scientific uh, atheism with with science when, um, you know, that's great in some contexts. But anytime someone says this is what I believe with certainty, and everyone else is full of crap, well, that's that's the complete opposite of what science is supposed to be. In fact, um, I agree. You know, science I think is one of the most incredible. Well, not only one of the incredible uh, inventions of humanity, but also a highly almost mystical thing because you are peering into the world beyond what is able to be perceived. And a fundamental tenet of it is that you can't ever really know, but you have a particular way of inferring and imagining the unknowable. I think it's wonderful. And when you hear someone like Carl Sagan uh, speak, um, by my definition, that he's a mystic. He's somebody who is um, speaking about the, the difficult to know universal things in a way that stirs that inside of us. And I there's, agree. There's, there's no, in my, my mind, there's no, um, dis- it's not a distinction between spiritual and non spiritual and religious and non religious. Um, you know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, the Pope. You know the thirteenth pope who had his his uh, mistresses and uh, you know like big wine orgies and stuff. Like, was he really more spiritual than uh, you know anyone else? Of course not. He he was a a, a secular hedonist. It has nothing to do with religion. It's it's a very uh, social cultural thing. And what we're talking about, I don't think is uh, it, I don't think it cleaves along lines of belief it cleaves along lines of openness and of um affect and of uh the ability to allow yourself to experience things that are not completely in your control and that are not completely explained because guess what that's most things and uh, any good scientist will tell you that sure yeah in which case one of the most important things that um seeing a, a mystery performance or, or even I'm going to call what you do a mystery performance because I, I the, sure. the context I see it in even though it's a lecture of, of that kind of experience it, it takes different forms but it I, does. I know what you're going to uh, it's one of the things that those sorts of presentations allow people to do 
is to remind themselves that they don't know. Because people do go around, walk around, uh, repeating the things they know and living in the world that they know because it's comfortable and safe. And I think they forget how much they don't know. It really does say something, I think, wonderful about humanity that we do seem to need both. Yeah. And you think about you think about life and biology and and like what you really want is consistency and you you want a certain amount of chaos so you develop um and what have you um but if you're if you're a bacteria uh an individual bacteria you don't really want that you you want it one way and maybe for the species all sorts of crazy stuff happening might end up being good or bad or what have you in humans we really do seem to need a sense of certainty, but also that sense of unknowing and mystery and, and things that, that are, are not able to be certain. Sure. And that's, uh, that's just a really, I think that's cool. I think we're pretty cool. I think we're pretty cool. I mean, too. I think bees are cool too. Uh, but, but that in particular, do you keep uh, bees? Well, you, you've brought up bees a few times. I just think bees are one of those things. Um, uh, they're great because it's one of those things that's everywhere. It's one of those things that we don't, they, they just make you wonder because they're so organized, yet there's no boss. They, you know, we used to, there used to be all these debates about, oh, according to physics, bees shouldn't fly. And then we discovered, thanks to bees, that actually physics uh, does allow them to fly. Um, you know, when, when you, when you, if you crush a bee, is it more like, killing somebody or cutting their leg you know it it's it's a different kind of creature and they they like dance and they communicate and they it's just a, a crazy wonderful little thing that's in our world all over the place and it, you know if you think uh, you had a bad day just try to think about bees. nice have you ever experienced any uh fortune telling or been given a reading of some form i know you at the symposium you were with uh, Jerome Finley, who is amazing at that, so I'm I'm curious if that went down or if that you've had that experience somewhere else in your life. Um, well, I went a few years ago for a, a tarot card reading because they were on fifty percent discount, and I went with a friend. And <laughs> uh, I I would say that I, I I guess I got what I paid for. It uh, it wasn't a compelling experience. It was actually it was actually um uh all of the all of the bad things you could expect uh bundled together. Um so it was compelling not, not so much but bad. not for the right reasons. It was yes, <laughs> right. It was uh it was adversely compelling from the perspective of that fortune teller. Oh, that's too bad. Um But yeah, and I mean I mean the thing is you have you have hacks in any field. Yeah. Um and I, you know, I'm, that doesn't sound me on the whole thing. I, I, I think it's is a uh, fascinating, and I've <clears throat> met people who do it. In fact, I, I know a guy uh, lives in this town. I should go see him. Um, named Ian, who does um, <clears throat> readings from a very interesting perspective, mm -hmm. and it really is something that connects to people, and and that um, that people get a lot out of. And I, I've I've heard stories both from people who go to see kind of the Western tarot card type reader. And also, you know, like I have a, a close friend who's from India where everyone gets their, their charts done when they're young. And for her, it's just yeah. 
matter of course that Part of it life. actually did predict everything in her life. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I think <clears throat> I think from both perspectives is very interesting. I don't I can't claim I know much of anything about uh, these other traditions and how they do it. I I think is a super fascinating cultural thing in our in our society anyway though. I wonder um what drives us to want it other than just to know the future um because i I give i give people readings but i i give them readings on who they are and and one of the things i tell them is i don't believe i can tell you your definite future i don't believe it's possible and i don't believe that your definite future is the future that you're going to experience i mean i don't think that exists as a definite so um know that before we go into this and often there's sort of a disappointment to that they're kind of like oh i really wanted you to know the future (laughs) and i tell basically i'm telling them you're you're not going to get an easy answer um but i can tell you that you know you're totally able to do this and achieve what you're going after and you know it I, c- I can give them a reinsurance. I can give them um, satisfaction that that you know that I see the problem or the question or whatever it is that they're they're you know fighting with. But I can't tell them definite way to go forward. I can't give them. I can give right. them positive affirmations that that they they're going to be good at it or whatever. But it's interesting. It's just interesting to see because I, I know that what a lot of fortune tellers will do is uh, and that's the difference between me i'm not a fortune teller you know what i mean um is they will tell a person what to expect in the future and things like you're going to have this many children and you're going to travel to this place and there's going to be a person who's got brown shirt on look out for him and and um what's interesting to me is that i'm only giving a person in a reading what i know i can give them um, without going out on a limb and without going into my imagination so deeply that I don't, that I'm just grasping for, which might, but actually a lot of people would rather have that. They would rather have my stream of consciousness response, which is intriguing to me. Uh, I brought up the question. I didn't mean to go there so much, but I brought up the question because you have a very rational, um, way of looking at things and you do weigh evidence on things and and you don't um you seem to be grounded in a scientific reality while also well no i will say that i will say you're grounded in a scientific reality in that you filter the mystery experiences through that understanding of reality well and i sort of like i I think science is a a useful tool really when it comes down to it and i I do i i do speak very rationally but at the same time you know if if someone presented really compelling evidence that uh someone could predict every aspect of your life um well first off i i would i would hate that uh personally (laughs) i think that'd be terrible but um you know it also isn't that you know in the scheme of things it isn't that crazy like um so i don't, I don't know 
Well, the reason I, I asked think, is is yeah. fortune telling is one of the things as far outside of science as most people would see it. And uh, I don't. I th- I think it's also no matter how crazy and advanced we get uh, with science is a thing that's always going to exist. We're always going to have fortune tellers and people who uh, read other people and give readings. And people are always going to want to sit down with somebody to talk to them about their life. Um, so I, I was curious as to your perception on that because you exist in this interesting way with a foot in both worlds. Yeah, and when you... Um, when you say outside of science, um, it's interesting because I think by any account, a big part of it, especially as uh, is popularized in our culture, is not outside of science at all. In that, um, there's a certain psychological reaction that or, or interaction that people have when they go to a fortune tellers, and. You know, you're describing this interaction quite well, and, and that is something that, that I think um, isn't, quote-unquote, outside science. What is purported to happen, um, I think, is outside of what anyone in science uh, cares to study right now, but, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not crazy. I, I, I do ask, though, you know, if, if someone has the ability to see the future in these particular ways, why are they doing what they're doing? Right. Well, I say outside of science because there are things that I put in that box of the, or I guess take out of that right. box. Um, and usually there are things that I don't think science can prove or disprove. So, yes, well, you know, yes, we can say a, there so are no ghosts. We cannot find uh-huh. them. We cannot perceive them. We cannot r- measure them. And then somebody will go, well, but I saw one and he talked to me. So, right. So, I know so there what are you ghosts. really, what you really should be saying is that we cannot. The second part, not the the first part of there are no ghosts. You could say in these by these criteria, there seem not to be ghosts. Right. Um. Is is how I would answer that. But when when you talk about um. You know things in this or that box. Um. Well, if you think of fortune telling as a box, there's a lot of interesting things inside it that could be put into many different other conceptual sure. boxes, and. I think that's one of the most fascinating things where you have, um, yes, there's this aspect of could someone really predict the future or are they causing the future to come about by what they're saying to people or what have you? That's, that's certainly true. But there's also, and, and this is what I think is, is important to note, you know, maybe not for the purposes of your podcast, but definitely for the purposes of people in the field of mystery arts, is that when you look at um, people talking about cold reading or talking about techniques that they can use to simulate fortune-telling abilities, for example, um, they come from a certain frame of mind and a certain affect. They say, um, tell this to people and they will apply it to themselves, rather than saying, <clears throat> you know, and, and it's it's like this this framework of we're tricking people and they're they're we're manipulating them and they're, they're, you know, or, or in popular science articles about fortune reading and fortune telling and cold reading, it's, it's like these people are manipulative and here's how they're doing it. They tend not to say, um, we are all so fundamentally similar in ways that we forget. And we all need a certain interaction with other people that we often don't get. 
And those are two beautiful things on their own. And it's also the backbone of how people do simulate those things, but it's simulate uh, fortune-telling skills. But because of the spin they put on it, a lot of these performers and practitioners and what have you, becomes this negative, awful thing. Like, yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and there is um, it's there's a lot of different uh, scientific and popular culture and skeptic society-based reports where what they do is they offer up a list of techniques that can be used to con people, mm -hmm. uh, such yes. as Barnum statements and cold reading and what have you. And in my experience, yes, there are probably people out there that do that, mm -hmm. but the good ones don't. Right. They just follow a system of readings and give you their system and give you their intuition. And they tell you what the cards mean. They tell you what the lines in your hand are or what the chart says. And then they interpret it to the best of their ability based on their experience. And those Absolutely. are normally the stronger experiences and the stronger readings and, and the ones that exist. And uh, so for me, calling out all fortune tellers as one thing is really um, unethical of the reports that are, you know, saying that this is a bad thing and they're all there out there to con you because they're not right. they're not all out there con or con you just like uh, well, uh we were talking elaine and i were talking about how shamans are not out there as con men they are part of a, a culture and part of a society and they have an existence that uh might use different effects to communicate through ritual but you know they exist within that society and they their intentions are good intentions generally yes and and that um as an outsider the um <clears throat> the weight that you put on this or that activity or part of a a ritual or an experience will be very different than what they put on you know and and so if you look at a um a, a 1970s uh, spiritualist seance of somebody pretending that they're, um, you know, they're like, hey, give me a whole bunch of money and I can speak to your dead grandma. And then your dead grandma comes to you and she's like, hey, dear, you should give your house to the psychic. Right. Um, just to, to play a huge stereotype. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. The fact that there's some kind of deception and there's some kind of ventriloquist type thing going on there does in no way uh, connect the meaning and the value and the, the, the purpose of such a thing if you see, say, um, uh, an Amazonian shaman who might also use, or I guess Siberian shaman who might also use, like, ventriloquist-type things. That's a, you know, that's a, a European imposition, and, and maybe that's, maybe they're out there to trick you. Um, or maybe it, it has a different meaning in their con cultural context, or maybe they're creating an experience, and they're, they're lying to you no more than some guy who comes up on a stage and says, hey, my name is Hamlet. Right. Would you perceive the effect of positive or negative um, readings on a sitter done by a fortune teller as a placebo effect? Does that make sense? Well, this, I mean, yes, but this really s stretches the... I mean, in our... Uh, we we have a, an intuitive cultural use of the phrase placebo effect, and in that <laughs> sense, yeah. Um, 
I would say, I suppose so. Um, although it really becomes hard to par parse because, um, you know, you can separate biological placebo effects from the effects of belief. Right. Um, whereas, you know, that we, we know there's so many social factors, like if someone has certain expect expectations of themselves or ideas about who they are as a human being, or if there's positive regards from other people in their lives, those have a huge tangible result. So does a fortune teller doing that make a difference? Absolutely. Does a teacher saying the same kind of thing make a difference? Absolutely. Sure. Um, I, I think, though, that maybe there is something to be said about a person who's speaking from the area of the unknowable, who says, um, you know, b because because they occupy this kind of borderline space of, of you know, what, what could be real and what's not, um, I think words coming from that kind of a person could maybe have a, a different sort of a weight and could be incorporated, you know, because it's almost like a, a sort of a pattern interrupt or something where, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a weird person walks up to you in the street and, and they say this thing and then they vanish in a puff of smoke. Like, yeah, you're going to interpret that differently. Yeah. Con but I would be surprised if, yes, but but I think the constituent elements of what are making that positive uh, change are the same as what's going on when there's a teacher or a, someone else. It's, it's those same interpersonal and, and intrapersonal processes. Right. I guess calling it a placebo effect is a simplification of placebo effect. It's just that I think people kind of understand. I'm going more from the uh, cultural standpoint uh, the right. sort of pop culture definition of that. Yes. I, I, and, I got increasingly angry at the doctors when uh, my wife was having our child uh, because they kept coming in and saying things like, oh, he has a very big head. This is going to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I just wanted to smack. The I actually had to take the nurses and the doctor aside and give them a lecture on positive reinforcement and saying things like this is you're, you're doing great and how that's going to help her but right. telling her it's going to be hard and painful is horrible and they should not say you know like i had to pull them all into a room uh yeah which partially i think is cultural i don't know exactly I, it made me wonder who trained them <laughs> well it's definitely cultural and it's um you know your your ability to be be a good doctor Although I, I have to say this seems to be changing in a lot of places. Yeah. I've, I've worked with some doctors who are absolutely not of this mindset, but I remember growing up having all these experiences with doctors where they were, you know, these are clearly people who got into med school not based on their social skills and uh, <laughs> who have continued those social skills in their practice and, and they deal with some biological stuff and then get out. Right. Um, but but I think I do think that's changing a lot. Yeah, I agree. I agree that it is. I had a I had a similar experience in a sense where because um, I, I had a lot of trouble in school growing up uh, for different reasons as do many of us, um, and I you know once I reached a certain age I spent a lot of time with kids who were struggling for probably different reasons than me but most of them in of school age, and I was at this party and there's a whole bunch of teachers there for some reason, and they were doing that you know that staff room thing where they just talk shit about kids behind their back, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like. I, I just I'm just like, do you guys know what the placebo, not the placebo, the uh, the Pygmalion effect is? Like, do you realize how you're affecting children by talking about this in in a tangible way? What you're doing right now is hurting children. 
And uh, first off, none of them had, which I think is insane. I think that's the first thing they should be taught. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, it was just like this this venting thing that they had no way of connecting to the the fact that, you know, this kid who I think is a total asshole and I don't get along. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Right. But just for the people listening, would you ex- describe the Pygmalion effect briefly, sort of, if you can? Um, well, uh, it's, it's, there's a bit of distance between me and my, my social psychology classes, but essentially with the Pygmalion effect is um, the measurable difference in outcome that results from unspoken regards, beliefs, or, or ideas. And so the, I think one of the original studies was around a, uh, a classroom where they went in, they did these intelligence testing, these intelligence tests, and they told the teachers, hey, uh, these kids are really bright, and these kids aren't very bright, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> the teachers didn't tell those to the kid, those results to the kids. Uh, it was in no way overtly communicated. The researchers just came in, FYI, we did our study, we got our data, and by the way, these are some kids that are high achievers and these are low achievers. The thing is, the results were actually just randomized. <clears throat> uh, what the teacher was given in no way or didn't necessarily reflect what the, what the child was capable of. Um, they come back and they give the kids intelligence tests. Uh, both times they gave them real intelligence tests and they just randomized the grades. Uh, who would be class told? Who'd, in what case the teacher would be told, hey, this is a, a smart kid or a dumb kid. Right. Um, so they come back, they do the intelligence tests again, and they find that those kids who had been labeled uh, smart kids had an improvement in their grades, and those who've been labeled dumb kids had a, a a lessening, a reduction in their grades. Right. And this is actually, it's weird that this isn't more widely taught because it's um, so applicable to so many things, but it's also one of the most robust, in my understanding, it's one of the most robust findings in the social psychology, or, or at least it's up there, where they've done this in workplaces and, and at different levels of education and schooling, what have you, where these these internal beliefs seem to have a very tangible, direct impact on other people. Sure. I, it's, I it's, wholeheartedly believe that. It's, it's an interesting, actually, because I did, I talked to this guy who um, was some sort of a shaman-like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that term, but he was, he was sort of a, he had studied with this mystic of, of a, a different culture, and, and he was explaining how uh, in their culture, they believe in uh, charms and curses and all this. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Because uh, obviously we have a certain Western idea about what a, a curse is and a charm and all this kind of thing. And, and I was like, tell me about that. And he's saying that, well, they believe that whenever you have, uh, when you expect something from somebody or you have a negative belief or what have you, uh, these are like curses and charms and these affect other people supernaturally. And I'm like, well, you know, that may just be di- a different set of terminology. I agree. You know, for something that let's be let's be fair, if this is a culture that doesn't have those observations based on rigorous scientific in- inquiry, that you know it, it takes us until the '60s to figure out that oh these these actually have tangible results. Well, these are people who are describing similar things, um, presumably through on- observations or their own methods of inquiry. inquiry. And, and who I think are describing that social interaction that we have in maybe a, a bit more direct and clear way, that, that maybe teachers in that culture would be a little more careful about what they say in the staff room, you know? Yeah, because they don't want to curse anyone. 
<laughs> for example. And and curse, of course, would have a different uh, yeah. connotation exactly. than somebody who grew up with Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. If people want to find out more about Aaron Alexander, they should go to pigmalioneffects.com. Is that yes. correct? Could you spell that for them? It's sorry. Uh, it's p y g m a l i o n e f f e c t s dot com. Cool, pygmalioneffects.com. And I'm glad that we got that little Pygmalion effect story in there, so it makes some sense to people who've never heard of it before. Yes, although I, I feel like as uh, as this went on, my explanations of things uh, declined at a steady rate to <laughs> the, the point of uh, rambling about uh, songs you're, and stuff. You're being too self-conscious. You're doing fine. So many thanks again to Aaron Alexander for joining us. That was a great conversation we had. Uh, lots of things to think on in there. Um, again, if you want to get in touch with him, uh, look at pegmalioneffects.com. And if you want to connect to us and see more, listen to more episodes of The Mysterious World, you can on uh, mysteriousworldpodcast.com. That's where this is all uh, fed from. But you can also subscribe on iTunes and now on Stitcher. Uh, so you, you non-iPhone users can also subscribe that way. Um, you can also connect with us in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Mysterious World Podcast. I think that's correct. Let me take a quick look there. Make sure that's right. Facebook.com slash groups slash Mysterious World Podcast. All one word. Great. Uh, if you want to send us an email as well, mysteriousworldpodcast at gmail.com is the email for the podcast. We have had in the past a competition of sorts, and the competition was to have the most interesting story of a mysterious experience from your life. And we had one entry, and the entry was from someone who was an interviewee on the show. So we'll give you a, a deck of Gnostic playing cards, which you can find on stuartpalm.com if you want to take a look at what those are. And uh, Pablo pledged a pendulum that he creates. Uh, so we'll give out two prizes. There can be two winners. It's still ongoing. I'm just going to keep it until I have at least 10 entries. So please send in a short personal story you can either record it or write it uh to one of those communication forms easiest easiest would be uh to send it to um mysterious world podcast at gmail.com or to put it in the comments on mysterious world podcast.com on the page 
I hope you all are going to have a wonderful Halloween. It is now the 29th of October in Hong Kong. It is two days before Halloween. That took quite a time to edit that episode. <laughs> um, but I think the sound quality with each of these keeps getting better and better. So have a wonderful Day of Mystery on the 31st. Or Samhain. Or All Hallows Eve. Or Halloween. Make sure and keep your mind open to the mysteries in the world. Because as you do, you will start to see more unexplainable, mysterious, and wonderful things. Thanks for listening to Mysterious World. I'm Stuart Palm. Blessed day. to see paradise take a look around and view it anything you want to do it want to change the world there's nothing to it there is no place I know that compares to pure imagination Come with me and you'll see if only